Would you kindly remain standing in honor of God's word as we go to the text from which my assignment comes for this weekend? Matthew chapter number four. Matthew chapter number four. If you can't find Matthew, you're in trouble. Matthew chapter number four. I'm going to begin in verse number one. The Bible says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. That's a little odd, isn't it? That Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into temptation. I'm going to explain why in just a minute. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these will I give you if you'll bow down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Today in our series, Mental Health Goals, I want to talk to you from the subject, the mighty say it weapon, the mighty say it weapon. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the guidance of the Holy Spirit and him being our great teacher. We submit our hearts to him and we open them wide so that he can speak clearly to us and transform us into the image of Christ more and more. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, you may be seated. Well, you might recall from prior teaching in this series that there is a battle going on for your mind because the enemy of our soul understands that wherever the mind goes, the life follows. We've talked about the mind is always the first thing to go. You don't just decide to do something just arbitrarily. It's usually a thought that triggers an action in your life. And your mind always leads your life. And the enemy knows this. And so he repeatedly whispers lies to us in hopes that we will accept those lies as true because it's not really whether what we believe it's true, it's whether we believe it's true or not that really matters. And so a lie believed as true can have the same effect on you as a truth that is true. And so the enemy constantly whispers lies to us in hopes that we will adopt those lies, accept them as true, and they will become part of our mindset that will ultimately become a stronghold in our life because anything that is a lie that we accept is true becomes a stronghold in our life and in our mind and that stronghold winds up imprisoning our lives because our mind is what determines where our life goes. And these strongholds prevent us from living the life that God has designed and created us to live because they are responsible for the behavioral cycles 
in our life. Behavior is not the result of just behavior. Behavior is the result of mindsets that we adapt. And so what happens to us as human beings is we wind up going through the same cycles over and over again, and we can feel helpless and hopeless like we are stuck in a rut, and we will try to break bad habits, and we will try to break, but we find ourselves right back into the same thing all over again. And this can make us feel like, why even continue to try? And so some people ultimately determine, well, this is just the way I am. This is just the way I am. You know, I'm just like this. I can't help it. It's my personality. But here's the thing. We are not helpless. Matter of fact, quite the contrary. God has given us, you might recall from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. God has given us mighty weapons. The weapons of our warfare, it says, are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, right? Demolishing, the Bible says, every argument, every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ and bringing them into captivity. And so God doesn't leave us helpless to the strongholds or the perverted and twisted mindsets that many of us adapt in life. God doesn't say, you know, you're on your own. That's who you have to always be. He says, I've given you these things that we've been talking about called mighty weapons. And we said these mighty weapons have the resurrection power of God on the inside of them. They have demolition ability to tear down, to destroy the strongholds that are in our mind and thereby allow us to create new healthy mindsets that trigger cycles of triumph in our life that allow us to lead the life of victory that God has designed for us. And then we said that there are three groups or three kinds of mighty weapons. And the first one, we talked about this already earlier in the series, the mighty repealing weapons. These are the ones that uproot the mindsets that are negative and destructive, right? The, 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 the neural pathways that are in our mind, that get itched, etched in our brain, that are giving instructions to the rest of our being, this is how you ought to act and respond. And so what the mighty repealing weapons do is they uproot them. They get them out of here. you got to get rid of the old before you're prepared to put the new in, right? And then the second group is the mighty renewing weapons, and we're talking about them right now. These are the ones that put new trenches of truth new neural pathways in your mind because if you don't replace the old with new, the old comes back and it's stronger than ever before. And as the Bible says, if a house is swept clean, right, the demons, they go out, they look for another place to go. And if they, if they don't find any, they come back and they find the house that they left. Nothing's put in its place and they come back and they're seven times stronger. And that's just a spiritual principle. When we take old habits out of our life in order to be successful in maintaining victory, God to put new habits back. And so the mighty renewing weapons, the ones we're talking about, what they do is they allow our mind to be reprogrammed the right way. We got to deprogram from the ways of the world and the old mindsets, right? And we got to reprogram the way that God wants us to, to, to be programmed in our mind so we can have a sound mind. And then my favorite, which we'll talk about in subsequent weeks, is the mighty reframing weapons, And these are the weapons that allow us to strengthen the trenches of truth. Because anything that is new is vulnerable, right? And so what happens a lot of times is we get rid of the old and we we start out putting the new in. And we think, okay, we got it now. And if we're not vigilant and we're not diligent, what can happen is the new trenches of truth can get just broken really quick in our lives. 
And that's why I said to you, it doesn't take 21 days to form a habit. That's a lie. It takes 21 days to etch your brain. It takes 63 days to form a habit. And that's why most people quit on their New Year's resolutions in January because they don't realize that you can't just do it for 30 days and become a habit in your life. You got to do it for 63 days. And then still you've got to feed the habit and feed the habit and feed the habit in order to keep it strong. And that's what the mighty reframing weapons do. And so God has given us these mighty weapons so we are not helpless to the devices of the enemy so that he doesn't have the room in our head. He doesn't take up space in our mind to ruin our life. Our focus last week was these mighty renewing weapons. And we said that there are three of them, right? We said there's, and the way you remember it is see it, say it, do it, right? See it, say it, do it. See it, say it, do it. The see it weapon is meditation. This allows us to, to see truth, Right, And we talked all about that last week, so I'm not going to go back over that. But then there's the, the say it mighty weapon. That's confession. That's what I want to talk to you about today. And then there's the, the, the do it mighty weapon. That's action. Nothing, nothing actually becomes firm in your life unless you practice these things. And we do it a lot of times subconsciously. We talk about bad habits, we practice bad habits, and we think about bad habits. And that's why bad habits take root in our life. And so in order to renew bad habits, we got to see it, say it, and do it. And my favorite scripture, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, my favorite is actually Romans 8.28. But one of my other favorite scriptures is Psalm 107. Psalm 107 verse 2. Here's what it says. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Right? Now this is not just an instruction to give God praise for your testimony. But it is also an instruction that tells us how to overcome or how to get released from the hand of the enemy. When you say so, the enemy loses his grip on your life. It's the mighty weapon, the mighty say it weapon of confession. And there is no greater illustration than how to uh, get delivered from the hand of the enemy with confession than Jesus in the wilderness of temptation. In the wilderness of, the, of temptation, we find Jesus overcoming the enemy by what he said. And so let's look at this a little bit. First of all, a couple of just backdrop uh, observations about the text, Matthew chapter number four. First thing you ought to know is that all temptations fall into three categories. There, there aren't any more than three categories of temptation. First John chapter number two, verse 16 says, for all that is in the world, everything, this is how it can be summed up. He says, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of that is not of the Father, but it's of this world. Those are the three categories of temptation. Anytime we are tempted, it falls into one of these three categories. The lust of the flesh, these are the base things that our flesh desires. The cravings of our, of our flesh that are not productive. The lust of the eyes, these are the base things that our eyes are drawn to. And then the pride of life, these are the base things that feed our ego. And so those are the three categories that all temptation falls into. Every temptation. And it's no different with Jesus. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, the devil tempted him in these three areas. Turn these stones into bread. That's the lust of the flesh. Tempting him to break his fast, right? 
Number two, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. That's the lust of the eyes. Then told him that he would give him all of these things if he would bow down and worship him. He was appealing to his ego. Here, you can have all this. You can have this power. You can have this prestige, but you have to do it the wrong way. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Incidentally, the same three temptations he ran on Adam and Eve. Same three if you go back into the garden. Why? Because he's a one-trick pony. Remember we said, the devil's not creative, he's just repetitive. He's running the same game on everybody over and over and over again. This is why we ought not to look at one another weird or like there's something wrong with one another when somebody falls into temptation because it's the same stuff that we fell into because the devil's playing the same tricks on us over and over again, right? Matter of fact, the Bible says that if you're spiritual and you see somebody fall into temptation, what do you do? You restore such a one. How? Considering your own self. Why? Because you know the devil's ran the same exact temptations on you because he's not creative. He is repetitive. And so here is Jesus and um, he's, he's tempted with these three things. But here's what the devil doesn't know. He's not dealing with the first man and the first woman. He's not dealing with a flawed man and a flawed woman. He's dealing with Jesus and Jesus didn't succumb, but Jesus overcame. And in this story, he teaches us how we can overcome as well. So the first thing you need to know, every temptation falls into one of these three categories. Second thing you need to know, every temptation or behind every temptation is a mind manipulation. Behind every single temptation is a mind manipulation. Let me give you a few that he tries to run on Jesus. Turn these stones into bread. What's the mind manipulation behind that? Well, he's trying to get Jesus to use his power of God to make it through this season, his power as God to make it through this season of temptation. He was trying to get Jesus to make wonder bread. That's funny right there. Matter of fact, he runs that same thing on me. He tries to get me to eat Wonder Bread, you know, the whole carb thing and everything like that. But in Jesus' case, he was trying to get him to eat or make Wonder Bread. He was trying to get Jesus to use his powers as God to overcome the temptation. You might say, well, what's the mind manipulation behind that? Well, the reason why Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, because the Spirit of God does not lead us into temptation. Matter of fact, we are to pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. So God doesn't do what he asks us to pray against because God's not working against himself. God doesn't make you sick and then heal you. God doesn't make you broke and then prosper you. God doesn't make you sad and then make you happy. God's not working against himself. The devil does all of the things that so many people blame on God, right? But Jesus was indeed led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and tried. Why? He had to. He had to be tempted and tried at every point and remain sinless in order for him to qualify as a proper substitute on the cross. Listen to me. In other words, he had to be a sinless man who was able to withstand temptation as a human man in order to become a substitute for man. Did you get it? Thank you, Mary. I appreciate that. He had to. He had to do it. He couldn't use his power as God. And so what the devil was trying to do was disqualify him 
from becoming the sinless, spotless sacrifice on the cross so that you and I would remain stuck in our sin. And so there was a mind manipulation behind the temptation. And that's why when Jesus responded to in verse number four, what did he say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Why did he say man? Why didn't he say I shall not? Because he understood the scheme that Satan was trying to employ. He was trying to disqualify him based on a mind manipulation. Anytime there is a temptation, the enemy is trying to disqualify you for something that God has for you through a mind manipulation. Second thing he tries to do to Jesus is disqualify him as savior based on a violation of prophecy. Because Jesus had to fulfill not not just 99.9% of all prophecies in order to be God. Because he's not a 99.9% God. He's 100% God. He, he has no flaw in him. No, no speck of something that is not good in him. And so he was trying to disqualify him as God. How so? Well, listen to the mind manipulation. He says, um, throw yourself off of this pinnacle. Why? Of course, and he quotes scripture. By the way, the devil knows scripture. This is why it's so important for you to know scripture. Because some of y'all think that people on TV know scripture. And so you hear these jokers in the news and they say things and you know, even the Bible and even the Bible. And and you don't know any better because you don't know the word. It's like when I was in a class in college and the the professor, you know, she first thing she said was it was a sociology class. Those are from the pit of hell. Because they're never biblically based. And so she, she announced at the beginning of class, she's like, listen, we don't mention the Bible in class here. And so I was like, all right, cool. As long as, you know, we're not going to do that, I'm, I'm cool with that. And then we're talking about homosexuality. And she says to me, she says to the whole class, she says, well, you know, the Bible never condemns homosexuality. So I raised my hand. Still, I'm not trying to, I love all people. No matter who you are, what you are, what you're struggling with, come sit right here on the front row. You're welcome in here. You're welcome in my house, wherever you are. But that's not the issue. The issue is she said, don't use the Bible. Then she tried to quote the Bible. But see, she didn't know that somebody was sitting in the room that knew the Bible. That's why I said, have you ever read Romans chapter 1? I said, can I, can I read it to the whole class? Because you just said the Bible doesn't support it. And then I read it in the scripture that supports that issue. And, of course, she got mad because she was proven wrong. The devil knows scripture. You need to make sure he'll twist it, though. So you need to make sure you know it more on that next week. He says, throw yourself down. It is written, he quotes Psalm 91. He will give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now, what mind game is behind that temptation? Well, there were no doubts crowds of people that were gathered around the temple below. This this was 450 feet above the temple. And the devil was not trying to trick Jesus into jumping to his death. That wasn't his MO. He was trying to trick Jesus into jumping so God would save him. Midair. Why? Because he wanted all of the people to see Jesus airwalk. And if they saw Jesus airwalk, they would, he would have classified them as, he would have classified them with the other false prophets of his day, some of which claimed they could fly. And so what he was trying to do is he was trying to put him in the same category as all of these other people. 
And, and if Jesus jumped off, he would have disqualified him on the basis of lumping him with all of these other prophets. And so he was trying to manipulate his mind behind. Also, the people would have accepted him more than likely as the Messiah if he air walked. And then he would have been disqualified on the prophecy that says his people would reject him. And so the devil was trying to manipulate the mind by tempting him with something that didn't look like it really was what it was. And that's always what the enemy does. He, 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 he tempts us with what looks good, but behind it is a mind manipulation. Now, here's the thing that you have to realize. Never bow to the devil's temptations, otherwise you lose out on a better blessing. Never bow to the devil's temptations, otherwise you lose out on a better blessing. The one who refused to turn the stones into bread, read the rest of the story, is given food by the angels. That's better. The one who refused to throw himself off the temple to get angelic help after he resisted, he is served by those angels. They come and minister to him. That's better. And the one who refused to take the shortcut to gain the kingdoms of this world is now declared the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's better. Listen to me. Don't ever bow. Your father has got a greater blessing for you. Remember, the point of our lives is not gratification. The point of our life is godliness and godliness produces great gain you get blessed better if you do it god's way than if you cut a corner to get it instantly and gratify your flesh and so as we come to the story we see that satan is manipulating jesus's mind the same thing that he does with us because he knows wherever the mind goes the life goes If you get your mind to believe something or adopt something, then your life will follow that. So how does Jesus use the mighty say-it weapon of confession to win the battle and to dig a trench of truth in his mind? First thing that I want you to do whenever the enemy is scheming and you recognize the mind manipulation, talk back. I want you to talk back. Did you notice in a very real sense, there is this is a war of words between Jesus and the devil. The devil says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus talks back. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, blah, 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 right? Satan then says, if you are the son of God, throw throw yourself off of this high pinnacle, for it is written, blah, 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 blah. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said, you should... You should not put the Lord, your God, to a foolish test. Satan then says, all these kingdoms will I give you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus talks back. He says, it is written, you shall not worship the Lord, your God, and him only shall you worship. What is Jesus doing in this war of words? Jesus will not allow the enemy to have the last word. Jesus will not allow the enemy to say something without responding to it. Now, this is not good practice in marriage. This is not good practice for kids and their parents. This is not good practice for an employee and their boss. But this is absolutely essential practice. Talk back when the enemy is talking trash to your mind because the end result is for him to gain space in your head. And one of the ways that you stop him from gaining space in your head and you put a right groove in your brain is you talk back. And that's why Jesus did it. Why is this true? Because 
the mood of your mind is determined by the words of your mouth. The mood of your mind is determined by the words of your mouth. What I mean by mood, anxious, worry, depression. The mood of your mind is determined by the words of your mouth. The conversation that is going on in your head is often influenced by the words that are coming out of your mouth. They are all linked together. So whatever words either come out of your mouth or even somebody else's mouth makes an impact on your mind. Incidentally, this is why the Bible says husbands should wash their wives with the water of the word. Do you know why? Because women are usually more sensitive to words than men. They have a greater impact. Men, we, we, we're used to talking trash. We used to say, I don't give whatever. But women hold on to that stuff. Because God knows what's happening is, is when we're not washing our wives with the word, with the truth of the word of God, what's happening is their, their mind is, is being assaulted over and over. Make sure when it comes to the enemy talking to you, you get the last word. Now let me go a little bit deeper. It's not just the mood of your mind, but the structure and functioning of your brain that is linked to the words of your mouth. It's called neurolinguistics. It's a study of how the mouth impacts our mind and therefore the structure of our brain and life existence. Now I'm going to read you an excerpt from a scientific book. Stay with me. In their book, Words Can Change Your Brain, Andrew Newberg and Robert Waldman write, a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. Positive words such as peace and love, and for us, we're not interested in, you know, hey, peace, everybody, love, everybody. The positive words for us are the words of truth, right? The words of the Bible. Positive words such as peace, peace and love can alter the expression of genes, strengthening areas of our frontal lobes and promoting the brain's cognitive function. They propel the motivation centers of the brain into action and build resiliency. Positive words, words of truth, prefer us into action. That's why it's meditation, confession, action, right? If you meditate on the right thing and say the right thing, you'll do the right thing. If you meditate on the wrong thing and say the wrong thing, you'll do the wrong thing. And so God has a very very uh, 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 set sequence for how you and I are to operate. You've all heard the story of the little engine that could. Right? He couldn't until he said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then he did. The woman with the issue of blood, what did she do? If I can only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. If I can only touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. Over and over she said it till she eventually did it. Exactly because of what they're telling us here, neurolinguistics. Conversely, hostile language can disrupt specific genes that play a key part in the production of neurochemicals that protect us from stress. Hostile language creates stress in our lives, right? Then it says, a single negative word can increase the activity in our amygdala, the fear center of the brain. This releases dozens of stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters, which in turn interrupt our brain's functioning. This is especially true in regard to logic, reasoning, and language. Angry words send alarm messages through the brain, and they partially shut down the logic and reasoning centers located in the frontal lobes. Let me make it plain. What does a kind word do? It turns away wrath. Isn't that what the scripture says? That's exactly what they're saying. Saying if you, if you have an angry word or a hostile word, what it does is it, it gets everything on the inside of you. 
your brain starts going on tilt. And that's why if you really want to resolve something, you don't go tit for tat. The worst thing you can do in your relationship with your spouse is they say something nasty, you say something nasty back. Because all that's happening is your brains are firing. They're going, and logic is going out the window. Have you ever noticed how illogical people get when they're angry? And then they calm down. And they're like, yeah, my bad. Sorry, I shouldn't shouldn't have did that. Why? Because their logic is back where it needs to be. And so this is what God is teaching us. According to these authors, using the right words can transform our reality. By holding positive and optimistic words in your mind, the, the word of truth, the Bible. You stimulate frontal lobe activity. This area includes specific language centers that connect directly to the motor cortex responsible for moving you into action. The longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect other areas of the brain. Functions in the parietal lobe start to change, which changes your perception of yourself and the people you interact with. And a positive view of yourself will bias you towards seeing the good in others, whereas a negative self-image will incline you towards suspicion and doubt. So in other words, when somebody talks bad about somebody else, it is completely a reflection of how they feel about themselves. Uh (sighs) Uh-oh. When somebody gossips about somebody, when, when when somebody is suspicious of people all the time, it is a complete reflection of how they feel about themselves. When somebody can't see the good in somebody else and can only see the bad in somebody else, it is a reflection of how they feel about themselves, so don't take it so personally. Put your hand on their shoulder and say, can I, can I pray for you? I know you're feeling bad about you. You're just using me to get your words out. Over time, the structure of the thalamus will also change in response to your conscious words, thoughts, and feelings. And that changes affect the way in which you perceive reality. Let me summarize. The right words affect our brain's proper cognitive functioning. The wrong words interrupt the brain from functioning right, especially in regard to logic, reasoning, and language. The right words switch on our brains, and the wrong words switch off our brains. Words can regulate the emotional and physical stress centers in our brains. Words affect how we perceive reality. Words have a profound effect on the way in which our brains are shaped and operate, and therefore the experiences that we have. Words affect us on a genetic level, turning the expression of genes on and off for a benefit or for a harm, depending upon the words that are spoken. Words do all that, which is why God said, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they shall love it. They shall, they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof because it is affecting you at a neurological level. It is literally producing the life that you are experiencing because your brain is pumping out messages to the rest of you for how you should act and how you should perceive, perceive things. And so God comes along and he says this. He says, whenever the enemy speaks to you in an untruth way, whenever you have stuff going off in your mind that you know is inconsistent with the word of God, you must talk back. You have to correct the voice that has come into your head. Otherwise, your mind is at risk. This is why God is so, so emphatic about you'll have what you say. You'll have what you, It's deeper than just magic. It's, you know, it's not hocus pocus. It's not blab it and grab it. it. God is literally telling us 
but God is not necessarily explaining everything behind it because, by the way, God owes us no explanation. It's great when you do know, but it's even better when you just obey. Isn't that great? Imagine, like, who likes to have to explain everything? I like watching all these presidential movies and stuff like that, and everybody gives their feedback and so on and so forth, and that's all cool. But there are times when, when the president's got, like, you know, 10 people around and says, you do this, 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 and it's, it's urgent. Whatever everybody says, can you tell me why? No, just do it. Right? We have to learn that when it comes to God speaking to us, he's smart. He knows what he's talking about. Do what he says. So number one, you must talk back. Number two, if you're going to retrain your brain, you've got to not just say anything back. You've got to say what is written. What, what is fascinating to me about this is that Jesus could have done all the things that the devil told him to do. I mean, Jesus could have made Wonder Bread, which would have been pretty cool. I think it would have blown the devil's mind, you know. Right? He could have done that. He could have jumped off and just hung, suspended there, you know, air walked a little bit. Matter of fact, Pastor Brendan thought I was air walking the other day when we were playing basketball. I had such serious hang time. Right? He could have done that. He could have did all of these things, but he didn't win the battle for his mind when his powers as God. He won by saying what was written. And he didn't just say anything. He didn't say how he was feeling. There's a place for that. But too many people only speak about how they're feeling. There's, it's great to acknowledge how you're feeling, right, in certain situations. Because suppression of thought actually creates a stronger hold in your mind. So sometimes you do have to get it out. But once you get it out, the purpose is not to keep talking about it. Because by keep talking about it, you put it back in. So the initial confession is get it out. But now you got to say, not your feelings, you got to say what the Word of God says about the situation in order to disrupt the lie that's in your head and put a, a trench of truth in your head. He didn't speak the latest relative truth. That ain't going to get you anywhere. Jesus spoke the truth of God's Word. He said what was written because there is a connection between what you say and what happens in your mind. Now watch this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I found this fascinating because, I mean, he could have put the weapons in any order he wanted to. But what I find particularly interesting is the helmet and the sword, which is the Word of God, are in the same sentence, and they're, they're, they're joined by end. You all know what end means, right? Like, or means either this one or that one. And you satisfy the or. Right? So you want ice cream or cake. You pick one or the other, you're good. But I'm like, how about ice cream and cake? That means both. Right? And and so notice what God says here. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What's he telling us? Guess how you put your helmet on? With the word of God. What happens is your brain and your mind gets protected from infection by the enemy when you take out the sword of the spirit. You put the helmet on with the word. So Jesus is teaching us that we must, we must, we must, we must say, not just anything, not just feelings, but say what 
is written. And remember, when you say what is written, the, the word of God is alive and active. We looked at that. It means it's always working, even when it doesn't seem like it's working. It's working. It's producing in you the truth and the trenches that God wants you to have in your life so you can live triumphantly. And then the last thing I want to teach you is this. Say it when he talks to you in sneaky ways. Because the enemy is a sneak, ain't he? I mean, if we always knew when it was the enemy that was talking, most of us would, would disregard it. He doesn't just, you know, show up with a pitchfork, you know, and horns and sit down on the foot of your bed, have a conversation with you. If he is, then you need to probably get some therapy. But what he does is he speaks to us in sneaky ways. Sometimes he'll use a person to talk to your mind. Have you ever had this happen to you? Jesus did. Remember Jesus and, and Pete? They were close friends. They were, they were, they were boys. Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I just want you all to know I'm going to the cross. Peter pulls him aside. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Peter took him aside. Imagine this. Jesus, come here. I got to talk to you about Come here, come here, come here. Far be it from you to go to the cross. He says, this is not going to happen to you. And what does Jesus do? Jesus recognizes what's happening. That it's not really Peter that is speaking, although Peter's mouth is moving at that time. Peter is being used by the sneak to put something inside of Jesus' mind. So what does Je- what does Jesus do? Matthew six twenty three. But he turned to Peter and he said, "Get behind me, Satan, for you're an offense to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men." Translation. Sorry, Pete. Nothing personal, bro. But I, but I had to respond. Don't mean to hurt our friendship, bro. But but I had to say something. Didn't mean to be mean, bro. But how to get it out there? Because there's too much at stake. If I just let you speak nonsense into my head, if I let you plant a lie into my head and I leave it there, then the enemy has got space in my mind. So I've got to disrupt the conversation to avoid that negative thought from getting in my mind because my life ain't going the way you want it to. My life is going in the direction of my destiny and I won't let you disrupt disrupt my destiny it lies in my head the sneak he uses people second thing he uses sometimes he'll talk to your mind when you're just sitting still just out of nowhere minding your own business right you know you're chilling out all of a sudden you start feeling depressed chilling out and all of a sudden you start getting anxious or worried. And you're like, what in the world? Where'd, where'd that thing come from? Right? Look at what David did. Psalm 42, verse number 5. David is sitting in the palace. Right? You would think if you'd like put a shepherd, now you're in the palace, that you'd be like, that life is good. Life is wonderful. You're looking around, and look at that Italian marble over there. That's beautiful, right? Look at that. Can't wait to have this and do that. You think life would be good. He says, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? What's going on? How come I'm feeling this way? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the, for the help of his countenance. What's he saying? He said, when you're just sitting there and out of nowhere, 
something comes over you, guess what you need to do? You need to say it. When he talks to you in sneaky ways, you need to talk back to the enemy when he tries to sabotage you in your quietness. You need to speak up and you need to say, you know what, soul, soul, you're going to yet praise him. Why are you staying down? Soul, rise up. He is the help of my countenance. I'm going to lift my voice and speak to your soul. And if somebody comes in and says, what in the world do you talk? I had to talk to the sneak. I'm sorry. You got to talk to the sneak. He'll try to sabotage you in your low moments. And then sometimes he'll try to talk to you through adverse circumstances, won't he? When the circumstances are troublesome, when trials are happening in your life, those trials will speak to you. They'll tell you what the end is going to be, right? They're telling you what you're going to lose and what you're going to sacrifice and how this is going to happen and that is going to happen. Well, David was in a situation like that with the, uh, with the Amalekites when he was king. They came in and they took all of Israel's women, all of their children captive. They burned their city and all of David's men and everybody in Israel wanted to stone David to death. And his mind was under assault because they all blamed it on him. Because, by the way, it's always easier to blame somebody. Remember that. Be careful Be careful not to shift blame. It's also a mind game. It's also a mind game. Because if you shift blame, then the devil can get you from doing the first thing that you must do, which is to take responsibility so that you can get it on the table so you can correct it. And if you shift blame, it just stays with you. So one of the greatest ways that the devil plays mind games with us is just shifting of blame. Well, you made me, and you, you, and you, and you, and you. And understand that there are influences that affect the way that we act and respond and so on and so forth. But I just want you to know that for the most part, for the most part, there are some instances where we are victimized. I get it. But for the most part, we are solely responsible for our behavior. For the most part, none of us is under the control of other people. For the most part. Now, I say that understanding there are some extreme situations, right? So they want to stone David. And look at what David did. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David, what did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. What did he, he talked to himself. Child of God, listen to me. Say it, say it, say it, say it, say it, and say it, especially when he speaks to you in sneaky ways. But don't just say anything back. Say what is written. Say the word of God. If you're sick and the devil is talking to your mind because of the sickness, say by his stripes you are healed. If you feel like you're going to die, say with long life he'll satisfy me and show me his salvation. If you're, if your house is under attack, said I believe on the Lord and me and my whole house will be saved. If it looks impossible, say he makes a road through the ocean and rivers in the desert. If you're broke, say he supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If your children are awry, say that my children are a heritage of the Lord. If your marriage is under attack, say what God has joined together. No man will put asunder. Say as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Say no weapon formed against me shall prosper Say it, say it, say it, say it, and keep on saying it. And the reason why you got to say it is because you don't want the enemy to gain space. And every time you say it, you're etching your mind. You're etching your mind. 
until your mindset is such that when a troubling situation, I was just talking to a friend the other day. He was so troubled about something. And he said, well, what should I do? What should I do? And I said, well, here's what I do. I said, I firmly believe with all my heart, no matter how any situation turns out, it's eventually going to work out for my good. So I don't really care. No big deal. God will work it out. Why? Did I, did I get there overnight? No. You get there by going through and practicing the principles of the Word of God, speaking the truth of the Word of God, and all of a sudden, your mind. It just this. My wife and I were having a conversation about something the other day. She asked me, she said, what do you think about it? I said, no matter how it turns out, it'll turn out for the best. And she said, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I said, I know I'm right. You should listen to me more often, woman. Say it, say it, say it. Amen. Now let me tell you what happens. I'm going to close with this when you say it. Verse number 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. When you say it enough, Satan eventually surrenders. Can I tell you something? You're stronger than the enemy. Why? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have greater, you have greater ability to withstand than the enemy has to attack. You just don't know it half the time. You've got to say, you know what? I haven't done all the stand. I'm going to stand there for having my loins girt about with truth. Why? That's the truth of the Word of God. That's where it all begins. Centered on the truth. Not the truth of the world. Not the truth of the, the world's ways. Not relative truth. But the truth of the Word of God. That's right where it is. Take your stand there. Like the old song says, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. Stand in your truth. The enemy will eventually leave. Would you stand to your feet? Amen. I just can't tell you. I can't wait to teach you about the reframing weapons. They are so amazing. I keep getting tempted the whole week to teach on that now. I said, I've got to teach on this first, Lord. The greatest example of how saying it delivers us from the manipulations of the enemy is salvation, isn't it? What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 10? It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Interesting thing enough is if you confess it often enough, you'll eventually believe it. God is so, God is so perfect. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes on the righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What you say saves you. Jesus saved you because of his work on the cross. We all understand that. But what we say saves us. And you know, we never like to close our services without giving everybody the opportunity to to be made right with God. Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Everyone watching in our online community and on television at our campuses and location, God is speaking to you right now too. Are you right with God? Have you ever confessed with your mouth Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? 
Have you ever asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you ever made that confession and believed that in your heart so that your soul can be saved? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, I don't know where I'm going when I leave earth. I don't know if I'm right with God, but today, this moment, I want to be made right with him with no one looking around. If that's you and today you want to surrender your life to Jesus, hold your hand up so I can pray for you. I promise I won't embarrass you in any way. Is anybody here that's like that? Amen, amen. Anybody? Online. Maybe God's talking to you every week. People get saved online. So that's why we do it. We don't care how God saves them. After God saves you, by the way, then you come to church. You can stop watching online. Get to church. Let's make this... Let's all pray this prayer together for the benefit of anybody who might be watching and God is speaking to on the other end of that camera. Let's say this out loud together. You at home, you watching online, if God is speaking to you, say this with me. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. I repent of my sin. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I receive him as the resurrected Savior. And I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer online, we have a little hand that's in front of you. You can reach out and click it. Somebody, one of our prayer ministers will will reach out to you. If there's no hand there, just type in the chat, Jesus, and somebody will reach out to you as well.